0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Twelve Six podcast. It's your boy Mario. We got Ryan and Ben here, our special guest. So what's up, Ryan?
1: What up? And I gotta say I'm honestly super excited for this uh, week's episode because we got a dude that I don't think anybody knows more about sports than the guy sitting right to my left. So what's up, Ben?
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Really excited. Uh, couldn't have picked a better week for me to be on with everything that happened, especially for the White Sox perspective. And I grew up watching baseball movies. We'll get into that a little bit later on. So let's get to it.
0: All right, as you mentioned, right, with the White Sox. So we're talking about Feel the Dreams. So I obviously watched the game. You guys watched the games yourselves, right? So what is something that, like, just you guys took from that that was just different than, you know, obviously there was a lot of differences from that game to every single game. But what is something that stuck with you guys out of that experience? I
1: mean, dude, the whole thing was just awesome. Like, watching the game, like, that was the most fun and, like, the most, like, captivated I've ever been watching a regular season game. Just like the whole, I mean, the game was exciting, and then they had like the backdrops, right? You got the cornfield, mm-hmm. you got the the house where the the movie, the or the house that the movie was in, or the yeah, the movie house and everything. It's like, dude, this is this is just awesome. So I think just the fact that MLB pulled off that <laughs> good of a um, a setting, two great teams. I mean, the whole thing was just awesome. It, it was my most most favorite, most memorable regular season game I've ever
2: watched. Well, the big thing for me is I think this. Past year in sports has kind of been a reminder that sometimes when you have a game that's so big, it very rarely lives up to the hype. Uh, a couple of examples: I thought the Super Bowl wasn't as good as it was anticipated. You also, the the national championship in college between Gonzaga and Baylor just wasn't a very good game. But this just lived up to all of the building between all the pregame stuff, getting excited for it, and then for the game to be back to back with in the ninth inning like that with. the uh, Yankees coming back to take the lead, and then Tim Anderson rips their heart out mm. with a walk off homer, sending it into the night sky on the farm. Mm. Just an incredible moment, and I I loved it too. And I think everyone did. It was the highest rated or most viewed regular season baseball game in sixteen years.
0: Exactly, man. I mean, it got five point six million views, and like that's just that's awesome to to hear that. Especially with the White Sox being in that. Like just when you said Tim Anderson in that walk off, it puts a smile on my face every time. Like. That experience with Liam Hendricks, obviously, you know, it was a shutdown closer. You know, sixty million dollar pay uh, contract or whatever. I mean, though he, you know, he gives up the lead, two outs in the ninth, and then you know the Sox have to come back and walk it off. Man, like you can't, you can't write that. That's just, that's absolutely nuts. Um, the game, like watching, you know, with my family and and watching them come out of the corn to start too. That was that was awesome, man. Like that was a home run, MLB, like. We give him a lot of a lot of grief on some stuff, and you know, Manfred and all the stuff he go he does. You know, we don't always agree with him, but I think they really did a good job with this game. I enjoyed it. I know my family enjoyed it. My mom watched it with us. I mean, she doesn't watch games with us. She watched it with us. You know, so that that game was just well done. I hope they do it again next year. Obviously, there's like rumors about the Cows being in it, even though they're bad. I think it'd be fun and, and good for call fans to have a little bit of enjoyment and, you know, their down times. Um, but rolling into that, right, great game. We thought it would be a good idea here on the podcast to talk about our three favorite movies of all time. So I'm going to go to our guest here, obviously, Mr. Ben. What are your three favorite movies of all time? And so you want me to give all three here? So, yeah, give us give us from your third to first. Okay. So I would
2: say my third favorite baseball movie of all time is Rookie of the Year. Mm, now, you got to keep in mind when... <laughs> When this came out, I was... Well, it came out in the 90s, and when I was watching it, this was times when the Cubs had still not won a World Series yet. And so, kind of pointing that along with this kid who just freak breaks his arm and becomes an amazing pitcher. Obviously, the movie's a little bit irrational, but I just love that that idea. I always had that in the back of my mind. that I was like, oh, maybe one day I'll be a 12-year-old playing for the Cubs, even <laughs> though that there's zero chance of that happening. So that was just... It was cool, because that's every kid's dream. It's similar to, like, Mike, where the kid finds the magic shoes and now he's this great basketball player. Like, you just dream about that. You dream about being this generational kid who's like, oh, an amazing player. But so that's three. The second, I would say, is Moneyball. Moneyball, to me, just made me appreciate how obviously the A's had to be contrarian because they're not in a big market. But it just made me appreciate kind of the business of baseball. And, and it really changed how I, how I look at things. And it helps me be more analytical about the game. I only first saw it a couple of years ago, even though it came out a, a long time ago. I'm not sure exactly when, but it was like, wow, these. there's a lot of thought that goes into this and making looking at players more as commodities instead of people, as bad as that sounds. It really just kind of switched my thinking on that and made me realize just how hard being a front office guy is. And then my favorite of all time is 42. Uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. But, I mean, you can't convince me that there's three people, three players more important to the game of baseball's history than Jackie Robinson. And I'm sure that movie didn't capture half of what he truly went through, but I think it really helped me realize just how bad it was and how on top of the everyday grind that is baseball, him dealing with the racism and people just being bigots. And he was still able to play at such a high-level shows, just how special of a player he was and how important to the game he was. And I think they did a good job of mixing that with also making it a true baseball movie and kind of developing that everyday love of the game, which I'm not sure too many movies have really shown that about professional baseball. So that would be my three.
0: That's a that's a good three right there. I, I respect that. I respect that list there. All right, Mr. Pops.
2: Yeah, I like that a lot. I like 42. Uh, I didn't think about that when I
1: was thinking of mine. But So for my top three, my number three uh, would be Angels in the Outfield. And I know that's probably not... Probably a lot of people want to think about that when put it on their favorite mm-hmm. baseball uh, movies list, but that's a movie as like a kid. Like I swear my mom wanted to, like me just to shut up. She would just put that movie <laughs> on. So I probably saw that movie like 300 times in my childhood. Um, so that would be number three. Um, number two for me would be The Natural. There's something about The Natural, like that whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love that movie, especially when he like cranks that home run and it hits the uh, the lights out and the outfield and everything. and uh, It's a great movie. Um, and then number one for me, which Ben is also on your list, would be Moneyball. The reason I love Moneyball so much, and you kind of went into this a little bit, is it shows like the analytical side of baseball, and how how the A's really were the, um, like the first to really dive into it and get really into like the whole analytics and obviously the Moneyball mm-hmm. side of baseball, right? So I thought that was really interesting how it gave us kind of like that insider view right into what the GM's thinking at that time. What what he's doing to build his baseball team um, in an organization that doesn't have a lot of money to spend. So that's my favorite baseball movie of all time would be Moneyball.
0: All right, yep. I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of all in the same range there in mm-hmm. movies we picked. So I, I put from third to first. and I also had a little wild card in there. Obviously, it's not – it's really like a goofier movie. But the Benchwarmers, like, it's such mm-hmm. a wild card movie. I, I love that movie. That's a great movie, too. I didn't put it in my top three, though, out of respect for, like, the, the meaning these top three movies had to me. Uh, so, for third, I had 42. Um, it's just, as Ben mentioned earlier, I'm not just going to keep saying what he said, but it's just, it was well done. It showed the, the hardships that Jackie Robinson faced, and I really respected that movie. Uh, feel the dreams, because I'm a sucker for, you know, the mainstream type of thing there, and obviously with the game, right? Um, you know, I, I watched the movie with my dad originally, and, you know, it meant a lot to me, so that's why I, I put it there. Uh, and then Moneyball, right? I Number one for me, Moneyball, easy. Like, that movie... Well done. It it put in perspective what they go through. Like the Oakland Athletics. You know, they're they're out here losing their three best players and they had to revamp their team. Obviously, there's some things that weren't put in that movie that, you know, kind of made it a little better. For example, the rotation was absolutely insane at the time. They had Barry Zito, who was, you know, Scion Caliber at the time and a few other guys behind him. That wasn't really mentioned in the movie. But other than that, um, it was it was well done. You know, it it showed Billy Bean and his light and like, you know, how, how much of a genius he is really, and he's still yet to win the World Series. But you know, here's to hoping he gets one eventually. Um, so in that movie, who's your guy's
1: favorite character? Brad Pitt or um, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill.
2: Um, I mean, I think Jonah Hill just because. I mean, it's kind of, you have to suspend your disbelief, right? Keep in mind, I only watched it a couple of years ago for the first time. So I think of Jonah Hill as this big goofball. Now he's in this serious role. But he's the one who kind of brought that to the organization. My favorite move, uh, scene in that movie is when it's opening day and Jonah Hill's character says, all right, you ready? And, and Brad Pitt's character, go, Billy Bean, goes, oh, I don't watch the games. I was like, you don't watch the games? I couldn't believe that, like... There's actual general managers who don't watch the games day in and day out. But, I mean, I guess if you want to be as objective as possible, you got to do that. But to me, maybe that's part of why I'd be a terrible general manager. Like, that would be the reward. Like, let me see the product I put out there. And then, obviously, if it's a bad product, then you're like, oh, well, maybe I need to be better. But that, to me, was just – I couldn't believe that. I said, what general manager doesn't watch their team?
0: That's actually kind of funny that he said that because I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I went to a Sox game by myself. I bought a ticket, so there's all, there's a meaning to this, right? So I buy a ticket, right after work, I decide, you know what, Sox Royals, I'm going to go watch this game. So there's a season ticket holder, I sit next to him, and I'm like, hey, Ned, thanks for giving me the ticket, whatever, you know, we have some talk, and he's like, hey, if you look at the south seats, you're going to notice Rick he moved from seat to seat. So I'm that close. So it's like the second inning, you know, Sox are, you know, rough start, is getting a little roughed up, and guess who it is, sitting in the scout seats. It's Rickon, you know. He's sitting there and he's just watching. He's watching the game, you know. He's got a little frowny face because g will sucking ass that day or whatever. And this dude's just moving from seat to seat. And you know they're down by like six runs or whatever. And and he just gets up and just walks right out. You know, it's just so it's in his car and goes So I, I, I honestly, I, that's something that I'm, I'm curious to know now. Where, where do GMs go during a game? You know, like, what do they do? I think that's mm-hmm. that's something that I thought was interesting. Like so, with like in that sense, Billy Bean in the movie. He doesn't watch the games.
1: You know, I wonder what the status quo is for GMs. Like, do you think... Like, what do you think it is? Most do watch or most
2: don't watch over the course of 162? I, I have to imagine... There's days like that where we assume... If it's an 11 to nothing game and they want to get home before the traffic... Because they do probably work long days, then yeah, they leave. But I have a hard time imagining that a GM doesn't watch every game. At least a part of every game even if the team's on the road they can watch on on TV i mean i just think that's such a information heavy job you just feel like it's part of your job right, right to yeah. watch the product you put out there <laughs> I mean, it's
0: your and your team just, yeah.
2: if if, you, if one of your players gets hurt or something like i don't think you want to learn second hand or get that like i think you want to see it and i think it makes you better seeing why people are struggling so i think that's changed now but i mean maybe now that if they're so analytically driven maybe they do only watch six innings but the although. thing is like with like, box, box scores can be deceiving. Right. You know? Like, some guy could
1: go three for four, mm-hmm. but there are three bloops or whatever. A little you each know? So, box like scores, Alex, yeah. yeah, they can yeah. be deceiving <laughs> if you're
2: not watching the whole game. Oh, man. And you, and you see that, too. A lot of, they say now, whether you believe this or not, it's up to you, but they say a lot of general managers make the starting lineup. So, like, to your point, box scores can be deceiving. So, if it's kind, it'd be kind of a... Kicking the nuts to your manager to say, Oh, here's our when he doesn't when he when he'll know what's happening and what's not, and you just say, Well, here's what the numbers say. Yeah, I think that eye test is very important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think honestly, the way the lineups for the socks been put out recently, I don't think Ritcon's behind that, but (laughs) (laughs) but uh, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but uh, how about we jump into some Cubs stock? Obviously, there's nothing much that's happened besides the losing streak that you know you guys can talk about for a little bit but just what are your thoughts right now on the Cubs obviously Ryan had his State of the Union address the other week so we had that but what are what are we feeling about the Cubs right now Frank Schwindel or whatever his name is and you know Rafael Ortega the 30 year old wonder you know you know Ortega he
1: actually looks good like he looks like he's like a good hitter, right? Like mm-hmm. day or yeah, day in and day out, he looks like he's gonna be a good hitter going forward. And wisdom too, right? Wisdom's mm-hmm. got what seventeen or eighteen homers right now. Like he looks like a piece going forward, that's promising too. And last on the last pod, I talked like Cubs fans going forward, just like watch for those little things that matter in the for the future, right? Like Ortega or Wisdom. But one thing recently that's like kind of been bumming me out is um, Edward Elsley. Like, he's, like, he's going to be a a huge piece going forward in the rotation. And he's Mm. just looked, like, terrible lately. And the thing with him is it's just giving up those long balls. Like, he's got good stuff. He's got a good fastball. He's got a good slider. But lately he's just missing over the middle of the plate, and it just gets clobbered. So that's one piece that's,
2: like, kind of worrying me right now. I don't know how you feel, Ben, about it. But Well, LZ just did go on the IL, so clearly something... Might be wrong. Hopefully, they get that corrected. I think you, I think you nailed it on the head, though, pops. It, those little things do matter. With Ortega, wisdom. Now, the guy I was really wanted to see was Dykeman, but now he just got sent back to AAA to get Hayward back on the team. Yeah, you can't, you can't worry about wins right now because wins are going to be. Few and far between. Um, I mean, dude, this team might lose 100 games. Right. <laughs> it could be, yeah. They're, they're, they're I mean, already they're, at
0: 50 wins or something like that, so.
2: So it's, you just, yeah, you got to hope for some development somewhere and and just try to take those little victories. But I was at the Cubs-White Sox game, I guess that would be two Saturdays ago now. And, I mean, I never in my life have I gone to a Cubs game and been more pessimistic about what could happen. And I and if you remember in that game, the White Sox scored two runs right in the top of the first. And then Adbert Alsley actually pitched really well. But I, I never at any point in that game did I think the Cubs had a chance to win. And if you look at the box score, that kind of proves it. They struck out 17 times, they only put the ball in play 15 times. They had 10 outs for ground out, fly out, what have you, and five hits. So when a team is striking out more than they're putting the ball into play, you just don't have a chance. Yeah, I saw a stat the other day. I think it was the Cubs have like, if not the highest,
1: one of the highest strikeout mm-hmm. rates in all of baseball. It's like, it's like staggering what the percent is. I can't
0: remember exactly what it is, but I mean, the team strikes out so much. Yeah, you got the, uh, as they say, the three true outcomes of the game, right? Strikeout, walk, home run and the Cubs have the strikeouts. So that's, and they got one positive, right? Well, it, <laughs> they're on the board. It's not, yeah, it, exactly, they're not on the board, yeah. It's, we're not, the Cubs are down
2: 5 nothing, and Frank Schwindel hits a, a solo homer. It doesn't really do much for you, but good for him, I guess, as a journeyman, first baseman. Yeah, one thing about Dykeman, though, is like,
1: I think the Cubs, like, why not just get, like, find a roster spot for him, get him as many mm-hmm. at bats as possible. You know, because that's a guy that you kind of took a chance on trading him uh, for Chafin. So he's one of the guys that I would like to see them find a roster spot for him and just plug him in, you know, let him work out through the kinks of his swing, let him work out kinks defensively. And just, like, if if you think he's going to be an important part going forward, like, I know you want him to get as many at-bats in AAA as possible, but, you know, let him work on things at the big league level if you think that's where he's going to be in 2022.
0: So I have a quick question for you guys just like, spitball here, right? Just just some thoughts, obviously, with the way this team's going. um, we don't. Nobody in this room expects the Cubs to be good next year, I don't think. And I don't even think some people expect them to be good in 23. I don't know. Can, you, can we all agree with that just for the sake of what I'm going to say next well, year?
2: Well, you don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think the Cubs will be World Series contenders. Okay. But here's the, here's the thing. Jed's going to have – hopefully have $200 million to work mm-hmm. with. But that's if the owner keeps his word. Exactly. So if he goes on his own damn television station and says, yeah, Hoyer's got the money – like, I hope he follows through on that. But if he doesn't, then, yeah, it could be a very long time. Because I, I think I saw if you, the Cubs payroll next year, they really only have guaranteed money to Hayward, Bodie, Hendricks.
0: And then Contreras. is going to have arbitration. Contreras is, is going to arbitration. I would say he's probably going to be like 12-something odd so, right? So, going into that, right, I'm glad you said his name. Willie's going into his final year, I believe, right? Am I correct? Next yes. year. So, that means he's going to be a one-year guy. The big question here, right, just spitballing, right, what do you do with Willie? Do you extend him? I would extend him, but obviously Jed has different – You know, Jed knows more than us. Mm-hmm. So if you were Jed and let's say the Rickets put a cap on how much they want you to spend next year, maybe they're like, hey, move the money. We don't want to pay Willie this year. We're going to suck. We're probably going to suck in 23, like hypothetically, right? What do you do? Do you extend him? Do you put him as a part of this team growing forward, or what do you do?
2: I just – I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> – I just don't know how we as fans can make that assumption that they're just going to suck. Because now if Tom Ricketts just tightens off the uh, money, the cash flow, and says, no, we're we're not spending, then yeah, we'll know that. But I don't think he will. I think there will be a lot of uh, one, two-year deals that people bring in and they try to contend, and then they'll go with Contreras. I mean... I'd say Rizzo, I'll go out and say, I'll just say, I think Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez were all maybe more important, more well-liked, and they never extended them throughout the season, so mm. what makes you think they'll do that with Contreras, exactly. I don't know, but I think there'll be a lot of people brought in, and I think they'll at least try, I don't I don't think they're going to go down into a whole rebuild, because I just don't think they want to do that with the fans, and I think they know that now, after how the how the fans showed their feelings after the trade. Yeah, game. I mean, the thing with that,
1: too, is, like, the fans got a taste of winning, right? So we know what it's like to win. And you've seen, like, as soon as they blew the team up, if you look at attendance at Wrigley, like, the fans just aren't having mm-hmm. it, you know? So going forward, like, if they if they plan on not contending next year and the year after that, I mean, you're going to see 20,000 people at Wrigley every night. When mm-hmm. When previously, when we were the lovable losers, it didn't matter. They'd sell it out every time. But since we got that World Series... Like, fans, like, they're not going to put, put up with that. And like you said, the the Cubs have so much money at their, at, their, at their hands, you know? And there's no reason that we shouldn't, in free agency, go out and try to compete next year. Um, I think, Mario, you're not going to like this, but I think a huge um, name and a big addition would be Carlos Rodon, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be a free agent. He'd be a perfect guy to plug I into think, the rotation. And I
0: think, uh, just like going off the Rodon stuff, too, I think... Uh, As long as Keiko is on the salary next year for the White Sox, Rodon will not be on the team next year. So I think first and foremost, going into the offseason, Hans got a really big problem on his hands in terms of getting Keichel's $18 million off the payroll because Rodon will not sniff this team next year in any negotiations, especially with the Boris factor. I mean, think about it. How often do you get a lefty, revitalize his career, throwing 99 miles per hour? Through six innings, Right. You just don't you don't get that. That's like Garrett Cole esque. Mm-hmm. So Rodon's gonna make maybe twenty three to twenty five million because of the injuries. Oh, he's hurt right now. Um, so I think that's gonna bring his value down a little bit and that's something like a team the Cubs could use, right? Hey Rodon, you get hurt, but we're the Chicago Cubs. You don't have to move a city. Here's twenty six million a year, six years. You know? I, I think he would take something like that for sure, especially after the stuff he went through. Um so just getting back to what you were saying, just jumping on the Rodon stuff, but...
1: Yeah, and then um, yeah, the Rodon thing, then just kind of going back to Contreras. Um, I mean, I don't see why you don't extend him. Like, hitting catchers are really hard to come by. And mm-hmm. besides that, he's a beast defensively, right? Mm-hmm. He's one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. He's worked on his framing. His framing's got a ton, or a lot better. I um, mean, he throws guys out like crazy. Yeah. Um, so I don't see why there's a reason not to extend him. But like you said, if they don't plan... Like, it's kind of a weird year, right? His free agency year. And if you're not planning on contending, who knows what Jed is thinking about doing. But it's like, why do you keep him then, you know?
0: You know what I was thinking, man? I was thinking about this. Remember the 2012 Red Sox? They were trash, okay? They were a terrible team. And they traded Agon and Crawford and I believe it was Josh Beckett at the time. And they traded him out of the city because they were like, you know what? To the Dodgers, right? We're gonna, We're just exactly. And they did it all on the waiver wire. This was after the trade deadline. I remember I knew a Red Sox fan. I was like, hey, did you see what just happened? And, you know, he was upset about it. You know, like, oh, this is the worst. They won the World Series in 2013 because they went out, they signed guys like Shane Victorino, uh, a couple other dudes, like, like that-esque, right? Like they, they just were not a team that you would look at and be like, damn, it's the Red Sox. They're going to, you know, beat everybody. They went. They made additions from guys that had struggling years and years before. Johnny Gomes, another name. They went out and they got those guys, and they signed up to, like, one- to two-year deals, and they're like, you know what? Here, we're going to throw them at the wall, bunch of veterans. Let's see what this team can do, and they went out there, and they did it. Obviously, they had guys like Lester, too, right? Lester was at his peak at that point. He was shoving the ball up and down every night, uh, but I, I can see the Cubs doing that. I could definitely see the Cubs going out and saying, like, Trevor Story headed down here. Hey, Trevor Story, let's get, like, you know, two years, something, whatever, million dollars, right? So that's what I was – uh that's that's the guy i can see them getting
2: yeah the, the favorite part of that 2012 team was by september they knew they were they were bad and they were out of it and so lester and beckett and john lackey all the the cowboys on that team dr- eating fried chicken and drinking beer right before the game i remember that was a big thing terry francona was not happy about but i always laugh because that was a pretty big story you got to imagine though those clubhouses with guys like uh Lackey and Lester, and uh, I mean those are probably just great
1: clubhouses to be a part of. Even the Sox, didn't the Sox have like a beer drinking scandal in the uh, in the locker room like during games? Right? Wasn't it Przinsky when he goes? So
0: him? I know for a fact that Burley will go out on the record saying that in two thousand five when he got the save, he was like three beers deep. He said that he was about That's three awesome. beers deep, and he and <laughs> Ozzie calls him. It's like you know two a.m. or whatever, and he's like, hey. I need you to come out. I need you to get one out. So he comes out and gets the out, and it's like, he's like, yeah, I'm three beers deep, man. You know, we're just chilling. You know, we're smoking we're smoking cigars, whatever, just hanging out, and then it's, boom, there you go. So there's definitely moments like that for sure. That's the American dream. It man. is.
2: <laughs> it definitely is. I know, I know, too, this is not during the game, but I know after game five, when the Cubs were able to stay alive in the World Series, I do know that the Lester – Lackey and Ross all went up to a local bar on the rooftop. They had it secured off and they they all started drinking after that pretty heavily. And then they went and Went on to win two more, so I guess it, it wasn't. Wait, Ross was a part that. of that twenty thirteen yeah, team. It, it was. Ross there, was Ross
0: was <laughs> oh the catcher my. on the final out. I remember Dude. he had his
1: huge playoff beard and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Dude,
0: I mean the Cubs really went out there and they went out and they got those additions, man. They were like, We need Lackey, Lester, and Ross. Well, oh, that's a that that's a Theo move, man. Theo was like, I'm bringing my guys with me and he did it, man. So
1: Theo, yeah. I mean yeah. <laughs> he had those Boston those Boston guys that he just brought right with him to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite Theo story of all time though is when he went to uh oh, who it was a pitcher. He went to his Thanksgiving dinner to try to recruit. Oh, my bro. goodness.
0: The Kurt Schilling, story the, Curt Schilling story. the Curt Schilling story. It's the Curt Schilling story. He goes to his house on Thanksgiving and like, hey, sit, talk with us, whatever. And I believe – I don't know if they were – it was a sign-and-trade thing. I don't know if it was that or if it was like, hey, I, I want to sign you today. Let's get this deal done, whatever. But – it was he went to his house on Thanksgiving like a psychopath and got <laughs> and got it done. <laughs> that's my favorite. He just crashes family Thanksgiving to try to uh, get this free agent deal done. I mean, man, that's that just shows you, man. Like that's that's Theo, man. Like, you know, we need
1: Theo back in the uh, front office, though. Like I know he's trying to do good
2: things for baseball, but I think his his, his home is in a front office somewhere. I I agree. I, I I'm sure he'll look for the right situation. I think he can. Uh, he's he brought World Series titles to two of the most poverty stricken franchises in all sports let alone baseball so i think he's just waiting for his opportunity i'm sure he's he's too smart of a guy not to know what he's looking for or at least have a short list of places he'd land
0: well there's the uh, there was that talk about the like the Tennessee team right with air quotes he maybe like he wants to just i mean he's done it all dude like Theo's done it all he's done everything that you could have wanted to do as a general manager he's brought 108 years no, Two curses. And then, the, you know, the 86 years in Boston. It's gone. Because of Theo. He put that team together. So, what what's next to do? A startup team. Let's just quickly build it up and send them to the championship. Dude, the crazy thing is, is when he won that first World Series in Boston as a GM, dude, he
2: was like 26 or 27 Straight years old. Straight up genius, mm-hmm. man. Well, we, you know, it, all, it all comes full circle to the Moneyball, right? They wanted Billy Bean. The Red Sox did. And he said no. And then they hired Epstein on the type of similar kind of
0: concepts that the A's ran except they went all the way because they had a bigger payroll and that's not to knock on Theo, but if Theo I'll had knock on my boy i'm not going I'm not trying to, but if if Theo was like the general manager for the Tampa Bay Rays, how good do you think Theo would be i just I'm asking well, genuinely. How, how
2: good would anyone well, well I'm like is... thinking about
0: like Billy bean right he's good. Mm-hmm. Right, he's good at what he's good at what he does. He's good at finding value in players like that. How good was Theo doing that with the Cubs? Well, but but how? When we have to qual quantify what good is?
2: Yeah, Billy Bean's good, but he's never won a title. And that's and, and, and that's part of the kind of the inequality of baseball is some of these bigger teams. Now the Royals have won a championship. Yep. And mm-hmm. and there's there's obviously exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, a team that can spend two hundred to three hundred million dollars are usually the teams competing, and I think even this year with the exception of the Rays that's that's the case.
0: I always look at a team a guy like Dave Dombrowski, right? Dave Dombrowski is prolific for going to a team, Spending. absolutely screwing up that team financially and screwing up that team's prospect and system and then leaving. And right now the Phillies are literally the prototype of that. They got no prospects, they got a serious payroll situation, but they're in first place. And I mean, if the Phillies go to the World Series or if they make it to the NLCS, would anybody blink an eye really with Bryce Harper and and Zach Wheeler the way he's throwing? I don't think anybody in this room would. I certainly wouldn't. So, like Ben was saying, like, some guys are built to be like that. You know, some guys are built to go in there and do that job. And and it might not look good afterwards like the Cubs are seeing now. But it it gets, you know, it's it's good in the moment. So, um, anything else on the Cub talk, guys? I know it's a little bit rough, but. No, there's not. It's.
2: The only last thing I think of is, the, the, with the loss today, they got swept by the Marlins, so this is the second time they're on an 11-game losing streak in this season, and boy, I just... At first one, I was almost just kind of just in denial. Like, man, this is, really is the end, and now it's just numb to it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just numb. Like, when I watch the games, <laughs> dude, and they're down, it's like... It really, you just become numb to it man, at
1: that's... this point. It's just like, whatever. I mean, I'm to the point right now with the Cubs, it obviously... Like, I love Wrigley Field. I love the Cubs to death. But, like, I turned down free tickets the other day. Wow. Because I was just like, wow. I don't want to go all the way to the city. Really? I don't want to watch this team. Like, that's the point where I'm at the with them. At? Where are the your seat? seats at? Bleacher seats. I I Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to go watch this. So, that's, that's where I'm at with them, honestly. When was the last
0: time you saw the, the core together?
1: I went to a Cardinals game in June, oh. I believe it was. It rained the whole time.
2: And they <laughs> lost, like, 9-0 <laughs> or oh, something geez. like that. So, what was your last time? I... So this was awesome. My brother got me tickets for my birthday in the bleachers, and they were in first. Cubs were in first place. Hendricks pitched against the Indians, and they won. Uh, Wisdom and Contreras went back to back, and then they had a day off. Then the next day, they threw that combined no hitter. So yeah, it was it was great. It was the first sporting event I had been to since the pandemic back in twenty twenty. I was life was good, but uh, since then, obviously. <clears throat> I was right four, so they throw the no hitter and then they lose eleven in a row, and nothing was ever the same.
0: Yeah, I mean. It is so I guess I'm games.
2: thankful for that. That was a good yeah. memory, but
1: now you know, yeah, going to Wrigley and being able to watch that core though for for mm-hmm. five, six years, I mean, dude, it was awesome. Like it was like obviously the greatest time in Cubs history. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: honestly, just super fortunate to be able to go to Wrigley and watch three of the biggest names in all of baseball. Um those were good times, but yeah. now Ben we're stuck watching Frank Schwindel and uh <laughs> and uh I don't even know. Andrew Romine. <laughs> Andrew Romine, there we go. The good the good stories for Cubs nowadays are the uh Andrew and um what's the other guy? Austin Romine. I did Virginia like Charlie. that. I did like That's that. That's the kind story. of stories Cubs fans uh live for now. Well, well, uh, but that
0: was a good story though. I if if you don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about the brother throwing to brother thing, right? That was cool. I mean I don't think what they said it was Hasn't happened in ever, or whatever yeah. the case was. And it was, was a but. position
1: player, so the chances of it, obviously, were astronomical and yeah, everything. It, it, was, was, it was cool.
0: Man, that was actually really awesome. I retweeted that. That was that was awesome. But um, well, we got happier times on the South Side. We do have... You know what? Even though we lost 2-3, we got happier times. Uh, Sox obviously lost a series to the Yankees this weekend. Should have won yesterday. Didn't happen. Um, with that, we go into right the Field of Dreams game Thursday night. That was peak of the season. That was the best regular season baseball game I've ever seen personally. Uh, and then yesterday, just another absolute brawl between two, you know, tight ends, right? You know, you go into the eighth, you're tied in Aaron Judge. It's a freaking shot off of off of Kimbrell. I mean, Kimbrell, you guys saw Kimbrell all year. Aaron Judge, he was just like Babe Ruth's reincarnation this weekend. He he was hitting missile after missile after missile. Um, obviously, taking Kimbrell deep is no joke. That is that's that's tough to do, especially righty righty. Uh, Abreu tying it up on a three two count at the bottom of the ninth, mm-hmm. two outs. That's that's what I live for, man. That's that's what you live for. That's when you know your team's going well. Uh, and then Liam Hendricks, man. Uh, we can get into that guy, and I know a lot of Sox fans. I'm seeing it. All the home runs are an issue, and I would agree with them. Uh, so just going into his numbers really quickly here. Over the last 15 games, Liam Hendricks has a 5.82 ERA. That's 11 runs earned. He's got six saves in that time. He's got 31 strikeouts, got a 0.94 whip in 17 innings. And that obviously is not what you pay for when you give up $18 million a year. Well,
1: if you look at the whip, the whip isn't
0: terrible. But in the ER, so that tells me he's giving up a lot of long balls, right? So that is the issue, right? So Liam Hendricks currently, I believe, is about fourth on the team in giving up home runs. Wow. And he's a closer. He's a relief pitcher. Okay, that is not good. Okay, and then we go even worse than that, okay? In his last seven games played, so not just seven games in general, obviously, but his seven games pitched, he's three and one. So that means he's got three wins and one loss. As a closer, you know that's bad. That means you're blowing a lead. Um, He's got a 9.45 ERA. He's going to have seven earned runs. He's got two saves, 12 strikeouts, and six and two thirds. He's got a 1.35 whip. So obviously, that's not going to get it done. When you're playing the Yankees, when you're playing anybody with a potent lineup like that you gotta be on your game Um, one thing I noticed that's you know it it should be taken into consideration just a little bit from fans he's only pitched three times in the last week okay that cannot happen that's very bad manager from Larusa. he's got to be able to get his guy in there Kimbrough's thrown almost every single day in a situation Hendricks has got to be put in there even if you're tied if you're losing by one get him in the game uh can't happen that's that's what's going to throw your players off uh, we've, we've all been an athletes in a situation when you don't get those reps you're not going to be good at your at your role and as a closer like a guy like Liam if he's not throwing in games he's going to be off his game and you throw him in the field of dreams game boom four runs Giancarlo and judge boom there you go uh so hopefully the home runs come down if he can bring the home runs down he's going to be great he'll be fine uh it's just that he's just got to be a little uh, a little more smart, I guess is the word for it. Uh, and I also hope with his Monte grandall calling back as well, the pitch sequences. I mean, Collins, I, I know a lot of Sox fans like Collins. His sequence and his selection and pitches is god-awful. What is Joey Gallo looking for in a 2-0, Ryan? Looking
1: for a dead dead red he's fastball. He's looking for a
0: dead middle-middle fastball. Yeah. What does he get last he night in the 10th? He gets a fastball. fastball right down the middle and he smokes it 450 feet right on the damn foul pole.
2: Yeah, when you, I saw that on stat was almost 114 miles an hour up the bat. The only way you can do that in a professional baseball game is if you know what's coming. Exactly. So you have to be, yeah, the Sox have to be smarter <clears throat> enough to know the not only, to throw that exact pitch. The only thing, with, I was talking to another
1: Sox fan about, about this, and he was really upset with the, uh, the pitch selection. Mm-hmm. But also, and he, was, he was aiming it at Collins, too, that Collins' pitch calling is like shit. But I was thinking, like, in today's age with the scouting reports and the analytics and everything mm-hmm. like that, is it Collins or is it the Sox, their their advanced scouting, the analytics? Because is Collins really, is he making that up? Or in pregame, did they go over? In this uh-huh. count, you're throwing
0: this. Um, in this. In this situation, you're throwing this. Um, from what I understand with Tony's teams, and, like, obviously, I'm not a part of the team, but from what I understand, Tony gives his – Obviously, it's Ethan Katz, a pitching coach, calling most of the game. So I would, he calls I pitches? But at the same time, I think that Ethan Katz and Tony would give, like, a professional baseball catcher the opportunity to call the pitch. In that situation, obviously, whoever called the 2-0 fastball down the middle to Joey freaking Gallo, who has 26 home runs in the year at the time and already had one in the game and it was hitting red hot, you know, in, the, in, in this short period of time, a fastball down the – I mean, that that was just a terrible call, man. Like, whoever called that, that's not okay – and I don't think Gasmani Grandal would have called that. And even so going a little further into that, a guy like Yasmani Grandal would have said, Screw you, I'm not giving this guy a two O fastball if a coach called it. Mm-hmm. Um I would I would that's that's just my thought on it, but I, I agree
2: to a, a point, but yeah, I mean if Zach Collins has such a hard time I don't know if he I haven't looked close enough. Does he wear one of those uh wristbands that they because, I mean, if he, if he has a hard time with pitches, what to do, I mean, just give him that. I mean, I was in the, the bleachers on Saturday, and all the outfielders have that little card. And there's no excuse for him to have that. But I think, I think you hit it on the, the reps. I think that's more important than anything right now for Hendricks, just because you look, especially in that Field of Dreams game, those pitches just were so over the heart of the plate. And those aren't pitches that normally Hendricks, those are mistakes Hendricks normally wouldn't make. But because he's so rusty and he has that mentality of wanting to be a challenge pitcher as a closer, if he misses right there at ninety seven, it's gonna go a long, long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you know why though he hasn't been since is it the addition of Kimbrell so or what? I
0: would, no, it's not even that. It's literally just been the situation. So He just hasn't had sometimes it. you just don't get in that. Like I mean, as a closer, sometimes you just don't get an opportunity. Like Kimbrell's been getting opportunities because Kimbrell's been coming in like tied games, for example. The last time, so put this in perspective for you guys, the last time that Hendricks pitched was the day that Craig Kimbrell gave up the three-run home run to Romine or whoever it was. Mm -hmm. That was the last time Hendricks pitched. And then the Field of Dreams game was the next time he had pitched after that. So, like, any athlete will tell you, without those reps consistently, you're going to get rusty. And when you're on national television and you're playing against the Yankees, Mm You know, you're you have to be on your A game, man. You gotta you gotta show up and you and you gotta like, you know, be comfortable with what you're throwing. He obviously did not look comfortable in that inning. He got the first the first few outs, you know, a little quickly there. I mean he gave up the single, but then after that it was just, you know, teeing off. Boom, boom, boom. You know, he was he was looking he looked afraid, man. He didn't look confident and uh that's that's not gonna get it done, you know.
2: Well, I guess the one positive would be that I imagine Hendricks is going to get in a lot now. Maybe more than you'd like with this stretch coming up. Got the A's. Mario, you know a little bit better than I would. But this is going to be a very telling stretch for the White Sox. They've beaten the teams they should have. And you shouldn't ever be criticized or scrutinized for that. But now you get some really competitive teams that have a lot to play for as well. And we'll see if the stretch, either the White Sox, go on a bad stretch here. I, I think they make the playoffs no matter what. I think they yeah. take a catastrophic sequence of events. And I think that for as much bad luck as you can get for one team, the White Sox have survived their bad luck for this year. But, yeah, it's going to be those little things for the White Sox. The How does Hendricks pitch? How is he sharper? And I think Kimbrel is just as concerning. The big thing he's always talked about, and this goes back to last year when there were no fans in the stands, was how much he thrives on that emotion of the ninth inning. And so I've. it started in the that Cubs game when he gave up a, the first home run to Andrew Romine since 2016 that Romine hit because he's in the eighth inning. And then that happened again the next day. Ortega, I think, flew out right at the warning track. So those things have happened. And either, I don't know what Tony LaRusso is going to do, and i it's not a decision I would like to make because, obviously, him and Hendricks are very competitive guys. They both want the ninth inning, but if, if Kimbrell needs that, I, I don't know. It's just it's a very difficult situation. Hopefully, Kimbrell gets over it with time, but if he doesn't, I think that's got to be a question mark for White Sox fans here going into October.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, actually. I, I honestly think that the Sox should flip the roles. I, I seriously think that Kimbrell should be the ninth inning guy and Hendricks is like that setup guy or whatever you need him. Because, I mean, Hendricks has come out publicly that he says it doesn't matter to him where mm. he pitches, right? Mm-hmm. And like you just said, Kimbrell has, has made it known that he thrives off that adrenaline rush of coming in the ninth mm. inning. So you've got guys that have come out and publicly said, one says, pitch me whenever you need me, and then the other guy, he's made it known that he loves the ninth inning, right? And what do the Sox do? They totally reverse it. They make Hendricks the ninth inning guy, and then they make Kimbrel kind of like the, the jack of all trades. So, to me, I personally think, is, and obviously, like you said, I don't want to be making that decision. It's a hard decision. But I do think that Kimbrel should be the ninth inning guy. I mean, you look at what he did all year for the Cubs. He had, like, a .48 ERA mm. coming in
0: the ninth inning. And now he's with the Sox, and he sucks a little bit, but it's all right. No, <laughs> that's no, no, just... That's that's you just, can I'm just... use
2: this as a, te- a test run, because there's more situations in the, a seventh or eighth inning for Hendricks where he can get reps, whereas Kimbrel, you can maybe save him for the ninth. But if, I mean... Yeah, you got to, You can only take a guy at his word, but it's just, you know, as a competitor, I know he'll, beat, he'll say team first or whatever, but I, I think that's still a tough pill to swallow, right? You've been the guy, and outside of a couple blown saves, you know, I, I just think that's a particular thing. I would say that and shortstop, you know, having that everyday shortstop, having that everyday closer, it could maybe affect the mojo of a team, but who knows?
0: So for me, like, I get the whole, like, eighth inning thing. I honestly don't really care <clears throat> for like how I guess feeling is a big part of the game, but I, I I don't I think Kimbrell is a competitor. I think if Tony puts him in the eighth inning, he's going to give you what, you what what he's going to what he's going to have that day. Um, but if it does become an issue, sure, I guess why not? I think that Kimbrell is probably better of the two overall,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that in October, who who do you want to who do you want to throw in a situation? Right, so Kimbrell in the Top of the eighth inning against, so let's say the White Sox get the second seed or the third mm-hmm. seed. They're probably playing Houston because Tampa's probably going to get the first seed, right? Uh, so against the Astros, you got Jose Tuve coming up and the bases are loaded in the eighth, right? Mm-hmm. Who are you bringing in? You're you're going to bring in the best of the two, and that given point in the game, that's what Tony, that's what Tony does. So mm-hmm. I think it it benefits you know everybody in the situation to throw the best guy for at the time in the. You know, the most stressful position as possible, uh, and, and to get the most stressful outs. That's how I would run it. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that's how Tony's thinking about doing it, but that remains to be seen because it really hasn't been much of that. Kopech got the only situation he fucking blew it out of the water. It was awesome. It was great. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was amped up. I'm not worried about Kopech one bit. Uh, it's more so about the Hendricks home runs and, and Kimberl just finding his, his groove a little bit. Uh, and you know what? I mean, I, Kind of hate the whole eighth anything a little bit, but if at the end of the day, if he needs it, then you know, put him in the ninth, right? Like, it's it's is it, is it really that big of a deal?
1: I mean, and let's be honest for Sox fans, this is a great
0: problem to have, right? It's a I, mean, it's a, a, two, I can't believe we're talking about it like that, man. Right. It's 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 awesome. And at the
1: end of the day, you look at the back of each guy's card, and, and they've hit, they've throughout their entire careers, right? They've just been locked down, so this okay, is a great man. problem to even have, like you said, that we're discussing this. So, as Sox fans, I mean, I would rest easy at night knowing that you've got Hendricks and, and Kimbrell. And at
2: the end of the day, right, they'll both be fine. Well, it, it's a great problem, but I would say I'd, I'd qualify it with one thing. If if the Sox are giving up leads late, it's like...
0: Exactly. Eh. And and obviously the New York Yankees are... And the American League East is a beast of its own. Mm. You go to the American League East and you're playing those teams like the White Sox got a stretch from hell right now. You're going from New York. You're going to Oakland. You're, you're playing Oakland and Chicago for four. You're going to Tampa... Right? One of the hardest places to be in at all right now. And then you're going to Toronto and we know they're finally getting their fans back. It's gonna be it's gonna be a madhouse in that area as well. So uh, let me just go into matchups really quick. So the White Sox got Oakland for four games here. So Frankie Montas, former White Sox prospect, is going up against Dallas Kaiko tomorrow night. As we know, Oakland loves to hit off of the White Sox. Uh left hander. Kaiko hit for whatever reason he's he's struggled against Oakland, so Here's the hope, in the offense comes out tomorrow. Frankie Montas has been great recently. Uh, Tuesday night, another former prospect, Chris Bassett, free agent to be, somebody the Cubs could target. Uh, he's he's bringing a 3.06 ERA against Ronaldo Lopez, who's starting for Rodon. Mm-hmm. That would have been a Rodon start. Lopez has looked great. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, so he's one
2: of those guys. The White Sox have had so many good players this year. I heard Lopez's name a lot a month ago. I said, oh, yeah, he's still on the team. So, yep. opportunity.
0: And then we get Lynn Irvin, and then we go to Cease and Caprillion, who Cease, the, the White Sox starter, 165, uh, 165 strikeouts this year. Uh, that's going to be big. So, I mean, he's he's got to strike out guys, and he's got to remain. He's got to remain consistent in the zone. He starts walking mm-hmm. guys. Uh, that's that's where he gets into trouble. So, you know, as long as he strikes out, guys, we'll be good to go. Um, so I'm hopeful for this series. I'm hoping for a split at the very least. If you take three or four, that'd be great. But at the end of the day, you want to at least get a split after the series. Um, so with that, we jump into a new segment that we like to have. It's our DK DraftKings or Fantasy Lock of the Week. So we'll jump into Ben first. Ben, what is your Lock of the Week? All right, my Lock of the Week is a...
2: Left-handed hitter for the Cincinnati Reds, Joey Votto. So the Cubs play the Reds for four this week, and the last time the Cubs played the Reds, it was at Wrigley. It was right before the deadline when the Cubs team was just never the same, and Votto homered in every single one of those games. So I am betting on him to keep that going in a big Uh, Hitter friendly ballpark like Great American Ballpark. That he's got three against the Marlins at home as well. So he'll have a a week worth of hitter friendly ballparks. And I think he'll tee off against the Chicago Cubs. That is my block of the week. I like that. And and one thing, too, the the Reds, I looked, holy cow, they're only a couple games behind the Padres. So these games are, yeah, they're on a roll here. And I think a, a seasoned veteran like Votto, that moment won't get too big for him, and he'll continue their success as they try to catch the Padres for that second wild card spot. Former MVP,
1: Joey Votto. I really like that one. All right, my DK lock of the week is Eloy Jimenez. Mm. Um, I mean, since he came back, I think this week alone he's got five homers, and his average is about 460. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you just kind of went into the matchups. You guys do have a tough stretch coming up with some good pitching, good starting pitching. But, I mean, Eloy's just been, yeah, he's been an absolute matter, animal at the plate. He's going to hit for a power. He's going to hit for average. He's going to get on base. So that's my DK lock of yep, the week.
0: I respect that. And just to jump in, Eloy four sixty four average in the last seven games. Five home runs, fifteen RBIs. He's got a one thousand thirty six slug with a four sixty seven OBP. So that is just ridiculous. Eloy hits off the best at the best times. I don't, you know, I'm not worrisome about him. I honestly, that's kind of a cop out because Eloy is literally a superstar hitter to me, and he's considered that. But we'll see who wins at the end of the week. My guy is Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros, the cheating Astros. Uh. The Houston Nationals are playing the Kansas City Rose, who have two right-handed pitchers and one left-handed pitcher. Lefty right for Jordan, who's a left-handed hitter, does not matter. Jordan will mash. He's hitting 346 in his last seven games. He only has one home run in that stretch. He's 9 for 26. He's got a 414 OVP and a 654 slugging. Jordan, he's hitting everything in sight, but he's doing one thing, or he's not doing one thing he usually does, and he's not elevating the baseball. Jordan will have a big week this week. We will see who has the best. Stats overall at the end of the week, and then right. if you get the best player, then you get a point. Right, so we'll just we'll keep it going throughout. Okay. That'll be a nice segment we do. So everybody's tied at zero, and throughout the year, we'll just mark Ben's category as Gastrolguma's own okay. category. No, um, I was going to
1: say because if this is the first week we're doing it, Ben, we will just text next week, right? Okay, so we'll oh that's fine too. We'll,
0: we'll do keep, that. There we'll, we'll we go. Keep it between sure. us three. I you like know what? It. Let's do oh, it. Right. The lock of the week. Ben will send it in, and we'll we'll read it out, or you can join in, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds good. So there we go. We got Joey Votto, we got Eloy, and we got your Don Alvarez. It starts tomorrow. So stats tomorrow. Today's stats don't count tomorrow's stats. Um, So we got about 10 minutes left on the podcast here. So we're going to jump into our final closing segment, one of our favorite segments on the show, Beef of the Week. So Ben's the guest. We're going to let Ben go. We're
2: going to see what he has to say. (laughs) Well, I I owe this to Pops because this is something I've forgotten about, but maybe – I re- but he brought it up earlier this week, and it really kind of just made me mad again. And its you'll see this on ESPN, and this is about the Little League World Series oh and the umpires. <laughs> so, here's, here's the thing. If the Little League World Series wasn't on national television and wasn't a global event, then I wouldn't say a word. But guess what? It is. And a lot of, and they make money, don't think they don't make money by having their games on ESPN. Millions of dollars. They absolutely do. (laughs) And guess what? Do those kids or those coaches get paid? No. So every time one of these umpires just makes a terrible call and the ESPN announcers are like, well, keep in mind, guys, they're volunteers. Why are they volunteers? (laughs) Now, this comes from me, and I feel bad. I shouldn't rag on my fellow umpire brother, and I was a umpire for five years, it's a good summer job. But here's the thing, those guys are, that's the top elite amateur kind of tournament in the world. So if if I get paid, and you get paid well as an umpire, if I'm getting paid to umpire an 11-year-old baseball game that no one outside of the immediate people there give a crap about, why do they care when there's entire communities and kids' legacies on the line for these kids, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and and I hope a lot of those kids have great careers, but if we're being honest, probably 90% of those kids, that's as good as it gets, probably even higher. So so for them to just say, well, well they're, ump- uh, they're, they're volunteers, they're volunteers, why are they volunteers? Why not find the best umpires possible for a tournament as big as that? It just doesn't make sense, and for them, to, I mean, if you're on TV and you're making money, you should make your product the best thing possible. I mean, 45, 50 years ago when it wasn't on TV and it was just kind of localized except for the communities that were in it, then fine. But I, I just think it's very – it's just lazy for the Little League to say, well, these are volunteers. Keep that in mind. Why? Pay them. Pay pay good – you think the umpires – you think anyone would say no? No, think about even, like, local college umpires that are really good. They don't get on TV. Mm. They're lucky if there's a radio broadcast. And now they get a chance to be on ESPN. I just, I just, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So thank you, Ryan. I owe you for that because it, I got under my skin again, and I got pretty
0: upset. So
2: thank you. I like that. That was a great beef. I
1: mean, that I was, was watching, awesome. I was
2: watching one of the games, and the umpire
1: called the strike. I swear to God, it was like eight inches off yeah. the plate. Was it the kid I mean, who
0: was just like mouth wide what open? Is what, what is the is your issue, dude?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. They're playing at, they play at a high level. So I'm sure they have umpires earlier on that maybe get paid or they play elsewhere, where they don't call that a frickin' strike. All right, these, these kids, these, these catch, not to hate on little kids, but these catchers give it away. They're terrible <laughs> framers. So if the if the kid's pulling his arm back into the zone, ump, it's probably a ball. Yeah.
1: Completely agree. Completely agree. All right, my beef of the week, I kind of had a hard time thinking of a beef this week, so I'm going to go with, he's a player on the Cubs, and I'm sure anybody that knows, I think you know who my beef is. If you had to guess, he plays for the Cubs. Oh, Jake Arrieta. Nope. No. No? Jason, oh. oh, Jason Hayward. Oh, Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward's my beef for the week. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I mean, dude, he just, he sucks so bad, and his contract is so, it's, it's horrible. It's one of the worst contracts in MLB history, I think. And his contract alone has prevented us from signing big free agents, like Nick Cassianos. Mm. You look at Jason Hayward, why we did not re-sign him is because Jason Hayward's contract and his position was sitting in the way of that. And then he, like, awesome for him opening up this sports academy in Chicago, his own little, mm-hmm. but what what is he going to teach? How to hit rollover ground balls <laughs> to second base? Is that, what it's, is that what's going to be specialized at his, his academy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been my beef for oh, probably, man. like, ever since he really got here. He plays great defense. But, dude, take your gold gloves and go home. Like, you're terrible. I can't wait for this contract to be up. So, Jason Harris is my beef of the week.
0: The reason why the Cubs did not resign to Castellanos that's big because Castellanos is putting up, you know, an MVP caliber season. He's going to get some votes. I mean, imagine having him, right? And imagine having, like, maybe you don't trade your Darvish. Maybe you add a couple other pieces. You have Kimbrel still in the pen. Like, you, right. you might have a decent enough team to get a wild card, right? Um, so that's a good beef. Um, I could have gotten a lot of ways with my beef this week. Uh, I was still leaning towards bullpen management of the White Sox, which we already talked about, so I won't do that. Um, my beef of the week... It shouldn't even be a beat, but I guess it is. It's right now we're seeing a lot of bandwagon fans, right? So we got a lot of fans here tweeting about saying you can't decide for me to you know root for the White Sox, you know, because I'm a Cub fan. This and that, and the other It's everybody in this room will agree with me, right? You root for your team in their lowest points and your highest points. Don't be the fan that jumps to the other side because your team originally is doing bad. So I stuck with the Sox in the sad Chris Sale trade days Mm -hmm. and the Quintana trade, all that stuff. I stuck with them. I went to games. I watched them in their worst days when, you know, Carlos, Yomer Sanchez was playing second base. You know, I I watched all of it, man. I watched it all. And I'm just telling you, Cuff fans – stick with your team it's gonna be a rough ride it's okay to acknowledge the Sox are doing good if you want to you know say you know you're happy for your friends that's great right like just don't go and and just completely disregard the Cubs and say you know fuck the Cubs or whatever right your team was the Cubs enjoy that right you had your you had your times you're gonna go through some rough patches and it's just gonna make the good times feel better in a few years so don't just jump from ship to ship it's just it's it's not what a true fan does so that's my thing like, who am I to say who to root for? But I think a true fan sticks with their team to the, to the hardships. So that's my beef. Bandwagon fans. Mic drop. Matt, no,
2: I, I agree. But The big thing, though, is, like, I was thinking about it today. I mean, if the White if the White Sox were bad, or even if they were, like, if they were just on the outside looking in, I wouldn't keep up with baseball. Like, if you guys asked me to do this and the White Sox were bad, I would have had to really research... <laughs> So I, I, yeah, I agree with you on bandwagon fans, but even I'm a diehard Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having another baseball team, but I'm really freaking excited for the White Sox. Oh man,
0: and that's the thing. I'm not saying for people not to be excited. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, it's it's a great time. Like, I was I was wa- I watched every single Cub game in sixteen from the stretch down. Like we we, we would text about it. Like I was yeah. like, this is an exciting team to watch. Like that Giants series, man. When when you know they took out Cueto in that one nothing game. Like I'll never forget that game. Like I'm not even a Cuff fan, I was just like excited for mm-hmm. the time because we were living in a century long wait like that like we all knew it, mm-hmm. you know we just knew everybody knew that they were most likely gonna win and 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 they they when they beat the Dodgers in the LCS we just knew they were just getting closer and then the seven games right so mm-hmm. I wasn't like rooting for the Cubs by any stretch but I was still mm-hmm. enjoying the ride I enjoyed yeah. it. It was it was it was a great it was a great experience right and that's what Cubs fans can do but I'm not saying mm-hmm. like I was always still like I love the White Sox that's my team I feel like a lot of like and the Sox fans do it too you know you're basic Chicago fans they go from side mm-hmm. to side and it's just just stick with your team man because it feels so much better when you know your team in the end like the Cubs right like Ben's mm-hmm. not gonna say he's a Sox fan but he's gonna watch the games his two teams the Cubs though and mm-hmm. when they're good in four years or three years from now and they're kicking ass uh-huh. again. He's going to feel that much better because he's stuck with that team. So that's my, that's my
2: beef. No, I, I totally agree with you. And, it, and that's, aside from just the relief and joy of the Cubs winning the World Series, that's like, it made me a secure Cubs fan. That we have that. If the Cubs hadn't won the World, I'd be like, "Come on, White Sox, you lose." <laughs> like, I'm, I'm hoping Lance Lynn gets teed off on everything because I don't want the Sox to have like, won two oh, times man. and the Cubs still haven't won in over a century. But there you go, man. Won, that's what I'm talking
0: about. Yeah, but not.
2: But like, that's now that they've won, like, it's just I don't get worked up and I just. I, I really like this White Sox. You know, team. Sox
1: fans are the same way though. When the Sox were going through their losing, the I Sox fans hated the Cubs uh-huh. more than anything on yeah, this planet. I mean it is. And Williams. now that the Cubs are or the Sox are winning again, Cubs are bad. The Sox are like, oh, it's all right. Like, no, it's Cubs, a- I don't care about the Cubs. Like,
0: like, that's just the I. I feel like a lot of Sox fans have that kind of like little brother syndrome thing. Like, it's just gotta it's gotta go out the window now. It's over with. You know, the Sox are better now, and just enjoy your team and if other you know fans in Chicago are going to be like hey I want to root for the Sox like let them be them but at the end of the day like you know give them shit in 3 years from now when they're rooting for the Cubs again you know so that that's my thing um so we got about less than a minute left here we're trying to cut it under an hour Ben we appreciate you having you on man uh, you're always invited on the show yeah. you're always a good time to talk to here um anything to say to the to the crowd here No
2: I I appreciate you guys having me on this was fun this uh this is what I was looking forward to all day just looking at some stuff getting ready it's a uh, it's a great show even though it's only been on for a couple weeks now but it's uh it's growing every week, and I hope it continues.
0: Awesome, man. We really appreciate the kind words, man. Anything from you, Ryan? Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's probably
1: my favorite pod that we've done oh, so 100%. far. It's by far the longest one, so that just speaks volumes, right? Oh, yeah, and man, I uh, wish we can
0: keep going, man. I wish we can go a little longer. But, yeah, it was you know. a
1: great talk, and I appreciate everybody that listened. Um, thank you, and then make sure that you turn in next week as well.
0: Yep, and also we are at uh, the 12Underscore6 podcast on Twitter as well. So if you guys could please give that a page a follow. Uh, we will tweet out the links to the podcast on that uh, profile there. So, Thank you very much, everybody. We will see you next weekend on another episode of the Twelve Six Podcast.